The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips. He will score the tying run. In the third goes Rosarena. It's an 8-8 to game, and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon. Welcome to our latest show. Today you'll get to know Corey Kluber and what reaching 10 years of service has meant to him. We'll catch up with Xavier Scruggs of Valley Sports Sun and MLB Network, visit with prospect Kyle Manzardo, plus we'll recap the draft with the Rays' Rob Metzler and introduce you to three of their top picks. We continue on this week in race baseball, and our featured guest this week is now at over 10 years of Major League Service time, and he certainly has been one of the anchors of the race staff so far this year. That's Corey Kluber. Corey, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Tell me what it means to get to 10 years of service since so few Major League players get to hit that milestone. Yeah, it is. It's rare. I think that's part of what makes it special. You know, I think it's a, an accomplishment that's pretty cool that because it allows you to kind of look back on, you know, your career to this point and kind of where we started off at, you know, on day one and then now where we're at right now. Did you get some calls or texts from some former teammates congratulating you too? Because I'm guessing that it circulates among the players in the league. Yeah, I got a few. You know, I think, like you said, it's it's one of those things that, you know, as players you you recognize that it's a difficult thing to accomplish, so... You know, I've I've been fortunate enough to to be able to send that text to some other teammates that I've had before, and um, you know, it's a it's a cool thing to to send that guy a text or give him a call and, and say congratulations because you know there's a lot that went into accomplishing it. Speaking of what went into accomplishing it, this month you also hit 1,500 innings. Are you more proud of of that or the 10 years? What what is more meaningful to you and why? Um, I don't know if one or the other. Um, I think they're both both cool in their own way. I think that. Uh, you know, they both probably represent being able to to do something at a pretty high level for a long period of time. But I'm not sure that if I've necessarily thought about if one holds more than the other. What does 1,500 innings mean then? You know, I think that it means being able to, to more often than not, you know, take the ball when it's your turn. You know, being able to get through uh, a game, get through lineups, you know, multiple times and stuff. And I think that every starter wants to to be consistent and be dependable and you know i think that the more innings you can log the the more reflection of that it is i think when you were first asked in, in a group about the whole 10 years of uh, service time you had touched about reflecting on when you started and that first day you're just hoping to survive when did you believe you belonged in the big leagues because there is a step right to go from okay you're in uh, i'm happy to be here survival mode okay now i really believe i belong here for sure. I think that, you know, there's some guys that they outwardly appear like they, they feel like they belong from the get-go, but I think there's definitely a, a point in time where you have to get where you, you kind of prove to yourself that, you know, this is where I should be at. And um, I'm not sure if I know exactly when that was, um, but I think it was just getting consistent experience and, and kind of being fortunate enough to have the opportunity to to feel my way through things a little bit at the beginning you know it wasn't necessarily smooth sailing right from the get-go for me but luckily I was 
I was fortunate to be able to kind of go through some of those speed bumps and be able to learn some lessons along the way and then be able to recognize them and apply them to to get to that point you're talking about where eventually you do feel like I belong here I can be successful here and it's a it's a much better feeling when you get to that point I'm sure you're helping a lot of guys here hopefully get to that point who are some of the guys who really helped you feel comfortable and kind of learn the routine that you've gotten to to this day and adapt yeah I think when I first spent time in Cleveland I think that the two that stand out the most to me were probably Joe Smith and Justin Masterson. You know, I think that they both were extremely, you know, accommodating and, and helping me feel comfortable, whether it be pitching or, you know, in the clubhouse and going through those sort of things too. Um, you know, that's another part of it. It's not just competing on the field that you got to get comfortable with, but it's it's being in the clubhouse. It's the, the routine of the day-to-day, the travel, all that stuff. You know, I also think even from a position player standpoint, I was pretty fortunate to get to watch guys like, Jim Tomey and, and Jason Jambi, you know, the way the way they went about things as well, you know, that was a good example for me to see. Kyle Snyder, the race pitching coach, has such a good reputation in this game, and I chatted with him about you, and he says you have had a, a, a tremendous impact on him, just what he's been able to learn from you. What have you learned from him this year? A lot. You know, I, I think that Snides is one of the most intelligent people that I've come across, you know, in this game yet, and I think that one of the more impressive things about it is that, you know, he he has that knowledge, but it's in such a kind of welcoming way that that you know we can we can talk through things and stuff. I think a lot of times when when somebody has as much knowledge on a subject as he does on pitching, uh, you know, it can it can be kind of difficult to keep up with him, you know, in, in the way they talk about it. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's been really refreshing to to be able to work with him every day and, and kind of work through when things don't feel right, kind of come up with solutions fairly quickly and, and even reinforcing when things do feel good, you know, why they feel good. To this point, you've made your starts. What would it mean to make 30 starts again or or more than that if possible? Well, I mean, I think that that's, that's the goal every year. I've unfortunately not been able to do that for a few years now. You know, I had a long stretch where I was able to do it every year, and I think that's been my goal is to get back to that point. I'm not sure what, what it would mean or what the significance of it would be other than the fact that I would consider it a, su- a success to be able to, like we referred to earlier, you know, be dependable and, and take the ball each turn. What's been, if anything, different here? Or have you tweaked some of your own preparation in terms of your routine day by day, fifth day, whatever it may be in this environment? Yeah, there's been some tweaking of stuff. You know, I think that the biggest thing for me personally is just probably realizing accepting whatever you want to call it the fact I'm not 27 28 years old anymore you know I can't I can't do the same things in between starts that that I used to then you know your, your body as you get older just won't won't allow it so I think I've I've maybe shifted my mentality in between starts a little bit from work 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 to still wanting to put in good work but realize that there's a lot of value in the recovery process during that time frame too how good is the recovery process here or in terms of what they do and how different is it from maybe what you experienced elsewhere it's great um you know the the training staff strength and conditioning staff i think that they're they're very cognizant of the fact that you know the goal is to perform on the field you know it's great when when you're able to 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 get after as much as possible but i think that you know keeping in mind that there's there's got to be some give and take there it's not always you know taking as much as you can every single day but realizing that 
there's going to be days where less is more. And I think that having a, you know, a group to work with that, that realizes that and can help me realize that when the time is needed um, has been really helpful. There's a physical side to that and there's a mental side. How much has it also helped to be living here in Tampa and not have to find a place and be with your wife and kids through the season? No doubt. You know, that was one of the, one of the big advantages when when we decided that this is where we we're going to be this year was you know you don't have to relocate three times a year you don't have to find rental properties you know you you get to sleep in your own bed for half the year um or half the season i guess more than half the year but yeah it's been it's been great you know we've really enjoyed our time in tampa and the fact that we get to be here and play here throughout the course of the season has been awesome as well. Has it been better than you would have anticipated? Has it been what you hoped for when you said, okay, let's let's stay home, this is a good environment for me? Honestly, I don't know if I really had expectations about what it would be like, but I think that uh, you know, I don't have any complaints about it thus far. <laughs> what has it meant, too, to be with your kids? You know, I've seen your son walking through the dugout, playing catch, the, the fact that you've been able to have those moments, that extra time with him this year. Yeah, it's it's really cool. You know, with the last couple of years with with restrictions and stuff that have been in place, obviously there hasn't been the opportunity to for guys to bring their kids in as much. And I think that's one of the cool parts about you know the major league clubhouse is when when kids can come around and it kind of reminds you that we're playing a kids game. You know, we're lucky enough to do that every day. And when you see guys' kids come running around and just how much fun they have, kind of running the outfield, or run the bases, walking around the clubhouse, whatever, it's it's refreshing to see especially through the course of, you know, 180 days when you're going at it every single day. To have that, again, that time with your son has got to be great. You know, I've I've talked with Shane McClanahan about, you know, he always talks about with this All-Star game this year, what 10-year-old Shane is excited about or would be excited about. What has it meant to see the way he has grown? And you've had what he says is a big influence on it. I think it's really cool. You know, this is my first time seeing him up close, obviously, Last year, playing in the division, got to see him pitch a few times, but you don't get to see the the day to day, you know, kind of the the eagerness to try to improve, to try to even with the level he's at pitching, you know, right now, which is hard to improve on. Still, still looking for ways to get better, and I think that it's um, not always the case when when guys are at that level and performing that level to still try to find ways to improve. But I think that's one of the reasons that he is you know, pitching as well as he is right now every single time out there is because he's not not content. There's no complacency or anything like that. You know, it, it's trying to kind of up the bar each time out there. What do you remember about the All-Star Games you went to, and what did you enjoy most about those experiences? They're busy. You know, there's, there's a lot going on. I think that it was a lot easier to kind of enjoy it after the first one just because I kind of knew what to expect I think the first one may be a little bit thrown off by how much is going on you know a lot of your time is accounted for uh while you're there which is is fine you know but uh, I just maybe wasn't expecting it quite as much at first as far as what I remember most I think probably just kind of talk about one of those like aha moments or like you know realizing you belong in the league stuff like that but to be in the same clubhouse as as that group of players and stuff is a pretty cool realization any cool conversations you recall that stand out just I know you're not probably the most boisterous individual that you'd find in a clubhouse, but I'm sure there was probably some time to catch up with some people that you thought it was pretty cool to chat with. Yeah, and I mean, even just not even having conversations, but just the simple fact of, you know, having guys who are future Hall of Famers, you know, 
know your name, say hello to you, things like that, you know, in the same clubhouse. You mentioned, or we mentioned, some of the things that you've now done. 10 years of service time, 1,500-plus innings. You're on a very good pace here. How, how much are you enjoying this year, and how much longer do you want to do this right now? I know your goal is to win a World Series still. Yep, that's that's number one goal. I haven't been able to accomplish that yet. Hopefully we can take care of it this year, but uh, I really couldn't tell you how much longer. You know, I, I think that it's, it's one of those things where I hope that when I know, you know, the time is right, you know, I, I will know. But hopefully it's not not too soon. So, uh, you know, I think that I, I do still enjoy the process of it, coming to the park every day, you know, the, the work in between starts, the competing, you know, when it is your turn to take the ball. So I think as long as that's the case, you know, I think uh, it would be something I'll look to continue doing. For this group to get where you want to go, what do you think needs to happen in the final however many games and the postseason, hopefully? One of the things that I I enjoy about this team is that, you know, when we are faced with adversity, whether it be injuries or maybe not playing the way we'd like to play, I feel like we have a good mindset to overcome that quickly. I don't think anybody's to this point in the season had any, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves or anything like that, even though we have had some adversity thus far. You know, every team's going to face it throughout the course of 162 games. Very rarely, if ever, is it you know, a, a smooth ride for the entire course of the season. So every, every team's going to go through it. But I think that I'd like to think that the fact that we've dealt with as much of it as we have thus far, you know, when things do start to, to go our way, when we do get back to being healthy, it'll just make us that much better. Well, here's to that happening. Thanks very much for a few minutes, and thanks for being with us on This Week in Rays Baseball. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's Corey Kluber. We'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Well, we continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and joining us now from Valley Sports Sun, MLB Network, is Xavier Scruggs. Next, thanks very much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to get into this second half of the season and see what it has in store for not only the Rays, but all of Major League Baseball. It should be fun. It should be indeed. And, you know, from a Rays standpoint, I guess, you know, I can't say there's no place to go but up because they're in a playoff spot as we speak. But from a health standpoint, if they can get healthy, they can go up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's half the battle when you talk about um, trying to really make a push for the postseason and thinking about the second half of the season. You're trying to get guys that have been healthy to continue to stay healthy. And then you look to get guys that have had some injury issues to get back and, and being healthy and give you the season that you're looking for in the second half. Most notably, we were talking off air, Brandon Lau, right? You're looking 39 homers that he had last year. You haven't had that in the lineup for such a long period of time. Not only the offensive production, but thinking about what that does to the other players around that. So I think that's one of those things I think if you think about Wander Franco has had his injury issues that affects the other guys around him in the lineup, not only in the field, but just, okay, if I need protection as a hitter, who am I getting that from? Is it somebody around me? I love the idea that guys have stepped up. When you think about Harold Ramirez, when you think about um, uh, Isak Paredes, like guys have stepped up in a big way, and that's why they're still in a position to be in the postseason. Indeed, and if they can get Brandon Lau to A, stay healthy and be the kind of guy he was last year, and at some point you add Wander back in the mix, you add Harold Ramirez back in the mix, and Manuel Margot, this really changes the look and feel of this group. Absolutely, because you're talking about guys that you know you can get consistency from. When you still, when you're managing, I and I think of kind of putting myself in the shoes of, of Cash, is like, 
when you're managing games, it's hard to piece together lineups when you don't know who's going to be consistent. You don't know who's going to perform. But when you have those guys, like you just mentioned, that have shown you big league consistency, then you can work around some things. And that gives you better opportunity to mix and match, which we know the Tampa Bay Rays love to do. It also takes pressure off of the pitching staff, right? We understand that the pitching staff staff has depth, but in order for that depth to be really used efficiently, it's got to have the offensive production. And without that, then you don't have the two mixing well together. You don't get the managerial decisions that we've seen cash make in the past with ease. It's, it becomes tough. So hopefully we get some of that offensive production back as well as continuing to be a, a great pitching staff. The guy who's been most productive for this team, and it's rare to say, but Shane McClanahan is not only the best pitcher, but he's the MVP on the roster, and he's allowed Kevin to do some of the things that he wants to do, at least on those days and maybe day before, day after he pitches. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that you mentioned a great point, right? You understand you're going to get depth out of Shane McClanahan no matter the situation, and I think that also speaks to Shane's uh, Shane's development, right? You look at somebody now that you can rely on going deeper into games because he's got the four-pitch mix now because not only is he getting guys with the fastball slider, he's incorporating more of that changeup as well as more of the curveball, uh, which both have some great late life to great bite to, but yes it helps everything else when you talk about a reliever situation guys can have a little bit more rest and the same thing the day before right you know you can maybe empty out the tank a little bit more than you might have if it's somebody else you expecting to maybe go five or, or four or five at best so I love the idea of Shane McClanahan and, and not not only that Shane McClanahan you mentioned the best player on the team maybe the best pitcher in all of, of baseball as we speak the way that he's putting up the type of numbers that he's putting up so not only has he been great for the Rays he's been great to see for the whole Major League Baseball and everybody associated and as we look big picture okay Yankees and Astros fighting for best record right now there are a number of teams fighting for the wild card I'll look at the four front runners right now Toronto the Rays Boston Seattle who's the team most in trouble right now and why man I look at Toronto the reason being I look at the pitching staff, specifically starting pitching, and the inconsistency besides a Gosman and Manoa it has, has given them some trouble. And there's been inconsistency with that offense that's expected to be that was expected to be one of the top offenses in all of baseball. So I look at when you have some injury issues, we've seen uh, Ryu that's been out. They haven't gotten the starts and consistency from Berrios. Those things concern me because when you're looking at finishing out the rest of the season, you're looking for guys to go a little bit deeper because your bullpen starts getting worn out. That bullpen that's been inconsistent early on, that's given you a, a lot of innings, starts to get wear and tear. And that's one of the bigger issues for me for Toronto. Uh, and I look at the Mariners like this is a team that they could possibly make some moves at the trade deadline while they're still playing really good baseball and continue to get better. And that team scares me because they do have the starting pitching and that offense is coming around now as we speak with one of the best young players in the game and a, and a Julio Rodriguez. So uh, it, the Red Sox concern me as well, but I, I still look at the Red Sox being under Alex Court. For some reason, it tells me he's going to figure something out and they're liable to make moves at that trade deadline as well. It's going to be an interesting deadline for sure. The next nine, 10 days will play a large part in it. 
Xavier Scruggs, thanks very much for being with us on This Week in Race Baseball. Thanks for having me. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball and time to take a look at things on the minor league side and joining us, one of the members of last year's draft class, and he's having a really good first year in the race system, and that's first baseman Kyle Manzardo. Kyle, thanks very much for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, before we get into your year today, let's touch on what it was like a year ago. What do you remember about the whole draft process and getting picked by the Rays? What, what are your greatest memories from that? I don't know. It was just kind of a lot of anxiety, I guess, leading up to the draft. Just felt like everything was taking so long. And then on that that day, too, when I was picked, I just remember right before I ended up going, everything started really speeding up on me a little bit because uh, you had different teams calling, offers and stuff and on and off the phone with my agent for like 30 minutes and then the Rays ended up saying that they were going to select me and then agreed or whatever and then saw the pick go in like right after were you with family friends at the time what was the setup like for you I was just at home in in Coeur d'Alene Idaho I had uh, my family and friends there so it was super super cool a lot of fun it's kind of everything that I'd hoped it'd be and tell me what your hopes were, expectations-wise, were going into the draft. Did you think you'd be a first-day pick? Was there like a little bit of a chip on your shoulder that you were a second-rounder? What was your feel on all of that? Me and my agent were kind of anticipating sometime in the third. Could be early, late, late third. Sometime around the third is kind of where I was estimated, I think, for the most part. Just was like stoked to go. Uh, obviously before the third and being out west being in Idaho with your family and having played college ball at Washington State how much did you know about the Rays at the time not really at all just <laughs> kind of mostly just that they're the team in the AL East that is always competitive and always wins against teams that are spending a ton of money you know so so tell me what this first year has been like for you and where you've grown the most in your first year of pro ball, because you've had a pretty good season to date. It's been awesome. There's a lot of players that have been doing it a little bit longer than me uh, that I've kind of learned from. And uh, I've picked a lot of guys' brains as far as, you know, just kind of how, how to go about everything uh, professionally now um, is the big thing. So very appreciative of the the teammates that I've had in Bowling Green. I don't know, the big, the big adjustment is just kind of get your body ready to play every day. And how difficult is that a college season where right now you'd probably be done. Uh, yeah. And now you've still got a half a year left. It's been, it's been challenging, but I think I'm kind of growing every day. Just more and more used to it. You kind of find different ways to get your body ready that you didn't really need in college. A lot more time to prepare in college. Is And have you almost started to think ahead to like an off-season routine or or where you want to get either bigger, faster, stronger, evolve as a player while you're trying to maintain kind of during a, a season, I would imagine? Yeah, 100, 100%. I've spent, I mean, I feel like I already know to a degree what I want to do this, this coming off-season just because obviously I was hurt early. So I think I kind of can credit that to probably – not doing as good of a job to get ready for the season as I could have. I don't know. It's also just tough. But, yeah, I definitely am planning on doing a few things differently this coming offseason. What have you liked about your season? Obviously, you've put up pretty good numbers. Your your walk to strikeout is pretty even, which is, you know, rare for a guy who hits for some power and drives in runs. Um, how have you grown on the defensive end? Getting, getting better every day. I think I'm a little bit quicker now than I was when I was drafted. 
uh, at least around the bag. One, a goal for me is to always uh, try and be right around a one-to-one strikeout to walk ratio. So that's something that I'm, uh, that's probably the, the part of the offensive side that I'm usually most cautious, uh, conscious of just because it's something that is, is really, really hard to do. And it's, I think, a part of my game that has always been pretty good. So just trying to capitalize on that and chase as few pitches as possible, but then also be ready to go when, when a pitcher gives me a pitch I can drive. Who's been most helpful? You mentioned you've got some players that are a little bit older. Who's, who's really helped you uh, get adjusted to pro ball? Logan Driscoll has been really good for me. We, we room together in uh, Bowling Green. He, play, he catches, he plays outfield, he plays some first, he, he plays everywhere. And he actually, I think he came over from the Padres, I want to say. So he was in that, that Northwest League. So he was playing kind of in, in the same area, like at the same time that I was playing like college summer ball out there. So that's kind of how we initially clicked uh, just because we were there around the same time. But he's, he's a good friend of mine. and He's been really helpful for me. And what is it meant to be on a team that's already qualified for the playoffs? I, I know uh, usually it's about development first in the minor leagues, but I, I would imagine that there's some level of importance of winning too while you're doing that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's something that I think a lot of us keep in the back pocket, but we're obviously still going out there every day trying to win. How, how hard is that to, or how do you find that balance? Well, you just, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. I think we just, we kind of go out there and uh, compete the same every day whether or not the results are coming you, it's, it's just baseball you got to go out there and find a way to compete find a way to try and get a win every night and Kyle from your backstory you know I, obviously you played in in the Pac-12 but growing up in Idaho what led you to get involved in baseball to begin with you come from a baseball family what kind of spurred your interest and when did you think you had a chance to become a pro I yeah my dad uh, coached junior junior college ball at uh, North Idaho College when I was really little. Uh, they lost their program uh, at some point, probably when I was like five or six. Um, so he's kind of the one that got me into baseball, taught me a, a lot of the stuff that I still do to this day. He was kind of always my like primary hitting coach pretty much all the way through high school uh, until like my sophomore year of college, freshman or sophomore year of college. So he's the one that kind of got me into it, taught me the game and the right and wrong things to do in baseball. Yeah, so I credit a lot of my success to my dad. Well, so far, so good at the professional level with Bowling Green. Congratulations on your year to date. Stay healthy the rest of the way, and we appreciate some time on this week in Rays Baseball. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's Kyle Manzardo at 989 OPS in Bowling Green. Coming up on This Week in Rays Baseball, Rob Metzler plus three Rays draft picks. Summing up the draft, this is This Week in Rays Baseball in the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball and time to take a look back at the Rays draft. And joining me, of course, the guy who orchestrates that, Rob Metzler, Rob, thanks for a few minutes. Tell me what your overall feeling was on the group you drafted this year. Really pleased with the group of players we were able to add into the system and excited to for them to start their journeys and competing their way, developing 
getting better, but more than anything, competing their way up through the system that eventually to hopefully become impact major league players. But, you know, speaking specifically about the group, you know, would obviously start with with our first pick, Xavier Isaac, high school first baseman from from North Carolina. Love his bat. You know, I, mean, I think probably, you know, the first thing that would catch your attention is just he's, he's a very powerful, strong, large young man. But you know, I, I would start the conversation with his bat. We, we like his chance to hit and then, you know, expect the power to be there as well. But we like his bat. We, we like his first base ability. So really thrilled to be able to put him in the system, you know, there with that first pick. We would move on down to, you know, three very talented talented middle of the diamond players and Brock Jones, Chandler Simpson, and Ryan Cermak, all with slightly different profiles, all fit in the middle of the field, have a chance to contribute offensively and defensively. Um, so that, that was fun. And then to, to be able to add Trevor Martin, who was a, a starting pitching prospect who might not have pitched all the time in a starting role at Oklahoma State, but we, we liked him as, as a starting pitcher throughout the spring. And I got to see see that in longer glimpses later later through their playoff run. Uh, that, that was an exciting you know add in the third round. And you know, could go player by player, but Dom Keegan, Keegan, Jalen Battles, Gary Gilhill, these were all players we were, you know, excited that they surfaced to the top of the board when, when it was our turn to pick. It, it, it turned out quite well. To back up first on Xavier Isaac, the, the first baseman, it is rare, not for the Rays, but generally for major league teams to draft a high school first baseman in the opening round. Uh, there's a small sample size in the last 20 or so years. A lot of them have been fairly successful. What made this kid so special that you thought he was worth taking somewhat of a risk? I would say, I mean, I, I touched on the physical, you know, the, the skill component and, and, the, and the power component. I, I would also add further highlight the defensive skill, but I, I would also say would highlight the work that Landon Laster and Brian Hickman did identifying him and getting to know Xavier, uh, getting to know his family. And then, you know, throughout the spring, we, we spent more and more time on this and, and, and it gained the idea gained more and more steam of, of doing, you know, making him a really strong candidate with the 29th pick. But, you know, I would just add the person, you know, <laughs> we gained more and more conviction in Xavier as a person. And, you know, I think some of the adversity that he worked through last summer, working through through injury, you know, I, I think just made him stronger and, and made him a better player. And, and we're looking forward to, to what's ahead. Rob, when a team is drafting where you guys are regularly now, um, you've made the postseason three straight years. Hopefully this year is a fourth. You're drafting near the end of the round. Does that almost require taking a little bit more of a slightly higher risk with the chance of really hitting on a player? Require might, might not be the word I would use, but it's, I think maybe open-minded in, in looking at the talent pool, uh, you know, as, as the spring evolves. It might be the way I would I would term it. Yeah, it just I think it's embracing embracing the uncertainty of the draft, embracing the uncertainty of prospect development in general. You know that you know if yeah if players with you know might not fit a typical profile, you know, but come with excellent attributes. You know, I, I think being open minded to that and then being willing to to um to take that chance. You mentioned um, Gary Gilhill. He's one of the other high school kids that you took early on. He's very young for the draft. He's also raw, but really came on, I guess, similar, but very different from Taj Bradley, who's now taken off and is going to be in AAA. Yeah, I think the similarities might just be, you know, in the improvement that, you know, in the the youth and and the improvement that we saw from throughout the, the fall. And, you know, certainly, you know, in the spring, just players who made significant strides. I, I think those are great similarities, I, you know, just in terms of body type and how their, how their stuff works. I, I think it's, it's kind of different, but um, we really hope Gary goes on a similar trajectory as Taj. Dom Keegan is a, a guy who I think a lot of people have found somewhat interesting because 
He's a senior sign, yet he put up phenomenal numbers at an SEC school. How do you balance that out for a slightly older player? Uh, I, I don't consider him. I don't think he doesn't turn 22 till August 1st. So, you know, in terms of how he fits within the draft class um, as a whole, I mean, it's very slight. <laughs> Age wasn't it wasn't too much of a factor there. Really, as part of his development, um, we've always liked Dom's bat. We've always liked his power. They continue to make progress. You know, this year, you know, this in 2022 in SEC, you know, was was better than 2021, which was you know we had interest in him last year. But what the development really has been his opportunity to catch more at Vanderbilt. You know, obviously an incredible program. They had they had a catcher draft. You know, a, a top 10 round catcher last year who, who did the majority of the catching. This year he got the opportunity to show us what he could do defensively, and we were pleased with what we saw. Touch on maybe some guys who slipped to day three that maybe have the kind of, because you took primarily pitching, the kind of arm that you think could really fit well and flourish in, a, in the race system? I mean, I, I would start with with Drew Summers, you know, a big, very, you know, physical left-hander who, whose stuff is, is is very live and, you know, was was coming out, you know, had successful year pitching pitching in multiple inning roles at, at Central Arizona um, and then, you know, showed us even more up on the Cape, you know, but but up and down the line, I, I think whether it be people, you know, who might be a little bit more starterish or, or, you know, or arms who are might not have as deep a repertoire, but who have, you know, a super lively fastball or, you know, something, you know, a slider, a changeup that we consider plus, or, you know, come at you from different angles, you know, all we thought had, had an attribute or two that, that had a chance to flourish in the system. And how do you, you mentioned start or perhaps don't have that extra pitch. The Rays are so good at developing pitches too, and in addition to developing pitchers, how do you guys try and determine who you project as a reliever versus a starter, and where is that line crossed? Because Martin's a really interesting case. Happy to talk through Trevor Trevor Martin more. Yeah, so so to, you know, specific to Trevor Martin. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State had an excellent rotation, you know, draft eligible prospects, and how Trevor fit on their club this year was pitching in mostly a swing role. Uh, you know, some leverage pen innings, some longer pen rolls and, and some starts. Um, but, we, you know, in, in his case, we looked at, you know, somebody who had, you know, multiple pitches, fastball, slider change. And we had a body type and arm action and delivery that we thought could really hold up over time. So, you know, you look at sometimes you look at the components more than exactly what role they might have on a given club. Well, Rob, we hope that uh, you've got, I guess, clock is ticking. You've got what till August 1st to get them all on the board and, and signed, sealed, and delivered. We wish you a lot of luck in that and also uh, the work that you're doing on the next class because, uh, you know, no time to rest, right? Exactly. We're, we're underway. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting up in my office looking out the window and, and PG National is, is the, the 2023s are competing down there for, for uh, kind of the midpoint of their summer. So they're, they're, uh, they're out there playing. So, yeah, we're, we're underway. And then August 1st at 5 p.m., hopefully we have, we have all good news. And, and our draft class is, is in Port Charlotte, you know, getting, getting to know our player development staff and getting a start on their careers. And that's Rob Metzler in this year's draft. Let's hear from Brock Jones now, the race second pick and number 65 overall out of Stanford. Brock, congrats and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Tell me what draft night was like for you. It, it was a little stressful. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of nervousness. And I think, I, you know, I kind of heard that coming into it. Uh, and I don't know if I was really ready for that. I was like, oh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. But, you know, you kind of sit there on the edge of your seat kind of all night and as soon as you get that call, um, as soon as you get selected, it's just one of the one of the best feelings ever. Just such a surreal moment. And you kind of like start to look back at your entire chi- entire childhood and just like 
this is like everything I've kind of worked for, you know, it's not the, it's not the end goal to be drafted. The end goal is to be in the big leagues for a long time, but you know, I, I think it's definitely a stepping stone and, and just something to look back on and just be super excited about. You're the only raised draft pick who was a two sport college standout having played football at Stanford too. How did you end up making the split and how difficult a decision was that? Yeah. You know, it was probably, probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make, uh, you know, up until this point in my life, just because football was, it was so dear to me. It was kind of my first love and in, in athletics in general. And I always, I was always, I played tackle football in first grade, you know, and before that I was doing flag football. So I've always been around the game of football and I was always kind of football, baseball, football, baseball. I mixed in some other sports when I could, when I was younger. But, you know, I think, in terms of, you know, having to quit, it, you know, it kind of came around when COVID hit, um, COVID hit, and then they ended up pushing back the Pac-12 season, uh, like a few weeks or something like that. And it was going to interfere too much with preseason for baseball in terms of getting ready for the season. And, and I was really looking forward to my sophomore year because I thought I can make a big stride um, on the baseball field. So, you know, I kind of had to make a decision. And then as soon as I, I was kind of talking about it, and then I was like, you know, what I need to do, I need to trust my gut. And so I went for it and ended up making that decision. And then after I think it was a week after I quit, they ended up moving the season back to its original date. I was like, okay, well, you know, there's just that's my sign to just, you know, call it there and, and kind of put it behind me. But not a day goes by. I don't think about those guys. And, you know, I think those guys will be in my life for the rest of my life, friendships that I'll have forever. So I'm uh, just very thankful to be able to play both for sure. There's that phrase football mentality. How does the football mentality help you, do you think, in baseball? Yeah, you know, I think in football, not to say that in baseball you can't have a little bit of edge and stuff like that, but in football, it's, it's very physical. It's a very physical sport. And I think that's kind of something that I try to bring to the baseball field is that, that edge and that kind of mindset of not like I'm going to hit you, you know, you can't, you can't do that in baseball, obviously. But, you know, I think in my head, it's kind of, like I said earlier, it's one of those things where my one-on-one with the receiver uh, is the same thing as a one-on-one with the pitcher, you know, and I kind of treat it the same way in terms of like, I'm not going to let you beat me. Like I'm better than you. And that's kind of like the mindset you have to have going into it because as soon as you don't have that mindset, then you're already beat. So I, you know, I think there's a lot of things that I was able to take from football and put into my baseball game. Because baseball is a game two of failure, do you think that strong mentality can help you grow as a player? Yeah, 100%. You know, I think I was actually talking to some people today, you know, I was talking about how the mind will outlast the body. You know, you got to strengthen your mind uh, because the mind, the body will only take you so far. So I think that's kind of something that I took a lot of pride in this past season. Uh, even, even my sophomore year, I was still pretty young and immature in the game and stuff like that. But I think you know, in terms of in terms of growing and maturity ment- mental wise, you know, I think this was a huge step for me this year, you know, kind of starting off pretty slow, uh, struggling early on. Um, but I think, you know, being able to kind of work through that was was huge for me and, you know, kind of trying to finish strong towards the end of the season and just being able to, you know, kind of lean back on some of the things that I did before and, and kind of trust myself and get that confidence back was huge. And just being able to kind of be in, be in a little bit of a slump and be able to work your way out. I think that's definitely something that you need to experience before you get into professional baseball. Uh, just because, like you said, it is a game of failure. So being able to experience all you can early on is definitely uh, to your benefit. Where do you think you grow the most, uh, Brock? Where, where are the areas of your game that you think having the chance to work full-time professionally will benefit you a great deal? Yeah, you know, I think I, I think there's holes in a lot of parts of my game uh, for the most part. I'm not going to sit here and kind of tell you I'm the best player ever. But, you know, I, I think I have, a, I have a high ceiling in that sense of, you know, I'm just kind of really getting into this baseball thing. And it's really my second year just playing the game. So I think the hit tool is definitely something I can be a lot better at. You know, there's a lot of swing and miss, and that was pretty evident uh, this past year. And I think that's just something that I'm definitely going to work on. I've already kind of made some adjustments here in the offseason, some things that will help me a lot moving forward. And I think that's just one of those things that's just going to be huge for my game because as soon as I get to tap into that power that I know I have, kind of have that raw power. So I think the more I can get to that power consistently and that that hit tool of just – 
being able to square the ball up at any given time is going to be huge. And then, you know, I think arm strength too, that'll just come with playing more catch, being around the game more, kind of just being in the game naturally. I think my arm will get a lot stronger. And, you know, even defensively, I think my routes can get better. My first step can get better. You know, I think there's pretty much everything except for raw power, you know, raw power kind of just shows up. That's why it's, you know, raw power. So I think there's, there's definitely a lot of holes in my game that I'm really looking forward to cleaning up. And like I said, I'm just kind of curious to learn and get better. What do you see as your, Brock, as your greatest strengths as a ball player right now before you get into pro ball? You know, I think physically, I'd say probably my speed, my athleticism is, is definitely kind of something that's a strength of mine. But outside of that, you know, I think my mentality of how you kind of how I, how I take failure and how I deal with failure and adversity and stuff like that, I think that's something that I do really well. Um, and I try to kind of not only do that to myself, but kind of spread it throughout, you know, people that are playing around me and my teammates and stuff like that. So I think that's something that I do really well is kind of just have that effective energy of, of you know, kind of trying to show up the, the ballpark the same way every single day. As someone who obviously was taking classes at Stanford and playing two sports at the Division One level, I don't know how much you've had a chance to really follow the game. So what do you know about the Rays? I know you probably know they've had a pretty good center fielder who's banged up right now over the years. Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where you hardly ever have time to sit down and catch a few games or whatever. So you kind of catch them when you can. But, you know, I know the Rays do a really good job, especially they're doing they're doing great in AL East right now and they're killing it. And I think even in their farms, farm system in the minor league stuff, they have really good farm system and they really develop players really well and, you know, produce a lot of good big leaguers. So, you know, I think I'm just very happy to be selected by this group. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to be developed, you know, develop into a better player and a better young man. And I think uh, the Rays is, you know, just a perfect spot and a perfect fit for me moving forward. So I would assume pretty shortly you want to get started on your pro career then. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, we got to kind of take care of all the, all the other stuff so far. So we got to see just, you know, working forward, but being selected was definitely something that was, was a huge kind of not like a win, but just kind of, a, like I said, a huge stepping stone for me of kind of just looking, looking in the mirror uh, and being able to say like, you know, and I did, I, I was able to become a professional athlete. So I think as we move forward here, we'll kind of work some stuff out and, and figure out what's best. And like I said, just kind of having full faith in the in the organization moving forward is, is something that uh, we're looking forward to. And as a kid, uh, did you grow up going to many major league games? And if so, or if not, who were the players that you admired? Yeah, you know, I didn't really, I didn't go to a bunch of games, but I definitely had favorite players growing up. My, my favorite player right now is probably Mookie Betts. I think just watching him play the way he plays the game is just awesome to me. I was able to, it's honestly because I went to a Dodger game. They were playing the Padres uh, probably a year or two ago. And just how slow the game looked. It wasn't because he's a stud physically, you know, everybody in the big leagues is a stud, um, but it's kind of just how he approached the game. His mentality is great. And I think kind of just watching how slow the game looked to him was, was something that to me was very cool because, you know, he's sitting on deck circle and he's kind of looking at his dad before he went to the dish. And I'm like, Okay, that to me is like one of the coolest things ever, you know, just being able to see moments like that. And, and that for me was, I was like, okay, like that's my guy. Like that's, that's kind of what I want to be like right there. So, but like I said, I haven't really been to a whole lot of games, uh, but he's probably my favorite player up until this point. Well, if you're even part of the player that Amuki is in the future, you're going to have quite a lot of success at the big league level. We wish you a whole lot of luck on your pro career. And uh, we appreciate uh, you joining us on this week in race baseball. Thank you very much. And that's Brock Jones taken 65th overall by the Rays. Now let's hear from the guy taking five picks later and Chandler Simpson. Chandler, thanks for coming on the program. Yes, sir. So uh, me and my dad uh, and my sister and my mom was just sitting at home to begin the draft to about the second round started. Uh, second round started, my mom and my sister uh, went out to go to sleep. Uh, me and my dad was just waiting around. My agent told me to stay by the phone. Uh, so we was waiting, we was waiting. We knew that Tampa Bay had 
the 65th, 70th, 71st pick. And my agent called me and told me that. He called me back, told me that the Tampa Bay Rays were going to select me for uh, the next pick they was coming up with after the 65th. So when he told me that, I ran upstairs, uh, get my mom and my sister out of bed, come down quick as possible, do whatever you got to do, come down as quick as possible. And then uh, we watch it on television, we watch it together. So. so the best possible wake up call, I guess, your parent, your mom has ever had, huh? Most definitely the best wake up call, for sure. Your journey is a really interesting one. Uh, tell our fans about your college journey. And it looks like you made, obviously, the right decision in terms of transferring to Georgia Tech. Yes, sir. Uh, so I uh, wasn't really recruited highly out of high, uh, high school. I really had UAB and Columbus State. Those were my two offers. Uh, went to UAB. Uh, went to UAB my freshman year. That was obviously the COVID year, so really didn't get to finish that out. Uh, went back for my second year. We didn't have a good year as a team. So it was a lot of up in the air of people leaving, going in the portal or coaches being here next year and this and that. So I went to the Northwest League and I talked to my uh, family and my agent and we decided that if things were going good up there, then I would enter the transfer portal and see what opportunities came about. So into the portal, things were going good. Um, Georgia Tech came about, offered, and thought it'd be a great um, opportunity for me to go back home, play for an ACC conference, one of the best conferences in the world, play for a legendary um, coach in Danny Hall, and then uh, the rest is history. And then you also had a really good season in the Cape, too. How much do you think that helped your draft status? And was that how much did that mean to perform in a wood bat league like that? Uh, I feel like it was just something that it was on my resume. Um, it was something, one of the only things that I haven't done that a lot of other players have. The Cape was the only thing that was left off. And I felt like um, I performed good with the metal bat during the season. And I wanted to prove uh, to scouts that had any doubt that I could do the same thing with a wood as well. Being someone who is under-recruited going into college, do you kind of carry a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? And do you think that kind of helps you as you get started with your pro career? Most definitely, I feel like it's a motivation factor and the chip that I have on my so shoulder. And something I just carry on through the rest of my life. I mean, it started then, but it's still in there now because of the doubts that may appear now. And I'm just going to take that with me through this pro career. You've got a unique approach. You're a very high contact guy in a sport that is kind of seeing a lot of guys go for the home run ball. How did that evolve? How did that develop? And, and how well do you think that's going to fit in as the game is changing with maybe shifts being eliminated at some point? I feel like it was uh, brought about like when I was younger, I was always a speed guy. So I always knew my game. So I've always been working on this game that I have now. And I feel like going into the next level, I feel like be a big part of something that can be a great addition to a team. And I feel like I'm trying to bring that back, that kind of old school vibe back with the speed, contact, getting on base, trying to score a lot of runs, steal a lot of bases. So I'm hoping to change the game in that matter and then take the distance. How much did you know about the Rays before they picked you? And were you surprised that they were the team, even though they had those three picks? I didn't really know too much about the, uh, the Rays. I did meet with them at the uh, MLB Combine in San Diego. But that's about it. Um, I wouldn't say I think I was I would be surprised if any team uh, called, but um, but no, I was just thankful and blessed for the opportunity. Now, growing up, you mentioned going back to Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Were you a kid who grew up going to a lot of Braves games, watching the game closely? Did you play other sports, or was baseball always your thing? I uh, grew up. I did play basketball as well. Played basketball and baseball. Um, I did grow up a Braves fan, uh, so I was always a Braves fan. Homegrown Atlanta. Uh, I went to like a couple of Georgia Tech camps when I was about 19 years old. So yeah, I just grew up in the city, and I was glad to be back. So yeah, I've always been homegrown. And were there baseball players that you modeled yourself after that you really liked growing up? 
Yeah, uh, I say like in high school, I really like modeled my game after D Gordon. Uh, that was one per- one person that everybody really compared me to, and I just kept hearing that name. And then uh, when I found out who he was, I was watching his highlights every day in school, during class, after class, things like that. So, and that's just somebody that I really look up to as like a big uh, role model for me uh, to instant that he made it and just gives me motivation that I can make it as well. And you've played the infield primarily, both at the Cape Cod League and also at Georgia Tech. Have you thought about potentially playing other positions, including the outfield, because of your speed? And I'm definitely open to it. Um, I feel like versatility is what I can bring ba- bring best to any club, and I feel like it'll bring value to myself and to the team as well. And I'm definitely open to it. If that helps the team win, then I'm definitely willing to go out there. I read an article about you in the Cape that your coach there said – you're as good a person as you are a hitter. What does that mean to you? Because you were a special hitter this year. You led the NCAA in batting. You were leading the Cape in hitting too. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's a lot. It means a lot to just be labeled as a good per- person. Um, I feel like character is currency. And I feel like if I could treat everybody with respect, kindness and politeness, yes, sir, no, sir, this and that, the whole nine, then I feel like it could take me a long way um, rather than my, uh, my play. So it's just a great addition to have. So tell me what your mom and dad do and, and what this means to them as well. So my mom is actually the principal of the high school I went to. Uh, she was assistant principal or dean of students when I was there. So nothing really slid. Uh, I couldn't get detention, get in trouble. I had to keep my grades high. And my dad is actually a, a deputy superintendent, Clayton County School. So just coming from a family of both educators, uh, both education. So I had to make sure my notes in the books at all times. I would imagine that probably helps you to be a student of the game, too, not only, uh, you know, in in college, but also as you get started. Yes, sir. Most definitely. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you get started with the race organization. This has always been a group that has a lot of athletic players, a lot of smart players. And we look forward to you being among that group that's in that next wave. Yes, sir. I'm honored and blessed to be here. Can't wait for it. And that's Chandler Simpson. And finally, now with us from this year's draft class, Ryan Cermak, taking 71st overall. Welcome to the organization, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Tell me what it meant to get drafted and what that moment was like for you and your family. It's a dream come true. And it's it's really a dream come true for my, my family, too. They were all there for me when I was three years old up until now being 21 years old. And a moment like this is, is something that, uh, we'll all never forget. Was it always baseball for you? And if not, were there other sports that competed for your attention? My first word was ball growing up. And I think that was sort of the start of, of something. Uh, maybe it was baseball. Maybe it was basketball. Maybe it was football. But I played basketball growing up. I played football growing up. But I think uh, I really just gravitated to baseball. Who were the players, the guys that you watched as a kid growing up? And did you go to White Sox or Cub games um, since you were in the Chicago area or any other major league parks as a kid? That's actually funny. Well, one, of course, I I was, of course, a Chicago White Sox fan because, you know, from Chicago, my mom was raised South Side and my dad's best friend had season tickets to to the White Sox. But back when I previously was an infielder my whole life, I loved Evan Longoria and I was actually a huge race fan too. And I'm, I'm not just saying that, like I, I had the hat, I had the apparel, like everything. Uh, so, so it was pretty cool how, how it all ended up. Were you surprised it was the race that drafted you? Yes and no. 
I always knew the Rays had interest in me and liked me and I love their area Midwest guy and you know he's been good to me and he, he said he's always said good things for me always pushed for me but there were other teams I thought may want me a little more and when I got the call saying hey we're going to make a deal with the Rays. I said, I'm all in for it. Describe yourself to our fans as a player, since most of them probably have not seen anything other than maybe a highlight or two. I'll give you what, what you want. I'll give you your money's worth. I'll, I'll hit home runs. I'll run bases. I'll, you know, just make the diving plays in the outfield. And I'll just show the electricity, like, with it. I'm a big fire, like, fire, fire me up guy. And uh, I think that's what I'm really looking forward to as I progress in my career. You were an all-conference defensive player of the year. And as you mentioned, you were an infielder to start. How did you adjust so quickly to playing the outfield? And what was the greatest challenge in doing that? I think just my pure athleticism took over when I was in the outfield. And with that also came speed. I think my speed was sort of neglected at third base because it's more just a, a step and a dive rather than, you know, running and, and laying out for balls or climbing the wall uh, in the outfield, stuff like that. And I think the, the biggest challenge for me was just knowing my outfielders around me. I didn't have the fastest outfielders uh, around me. My, my sophomore year, I had two guys that were sandwiching me that probably ran like a seven two. So I really had to figure out like, okay, I need to cover this much ground and, and left and right. The Rays as an organization have always had good athletes. So is there a comfort level of, of playing, let's say at some point, all three spots and learning how to play all of those? Yeah, I would say I'm a very versatile player. Uh, you know, you, you put me anywhere, I'll, I'll compete. And I would guess you probably want to get started sooner than later. Oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm ready, ready to do what I have to do. Tell me your your approach to the sport, because at Illinois State, obviously, you're a student athlete, you're going through college. Now you get the chance to commit yourself to baseball year round. How much do you think that will help your game? I think it'll help me tremendously. Uh, I remember this past season after hours because I, I was busy throughout the day for the most part with with school and just off the field stuff I would go into this place called K's Academy and I would hit from 10 p.m to midnight with another teammate and we just hit off the machine and I think once I can dedicate all my time to to baseball I think I'll, I'll help you know myself and the people around me get better and where do you think you have the most room for growth? Uh, Ryan, obviously, you mentioned your athleticism is a strength. You're obviously known first as a defender with a lot of pop. I think, you know, my my swings definitely there. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that I can, you know, help with that will help with my swing. Like I was a big swing and miss guy my freshman year. And then I brought that down my my sophomore year. And then I continue to bring that down this past year. And I think uh, just from getting the reps and, you know, going into the facilities for extra work, I think all that will continue to progress. And from a conference call you did with the media early in the week, you not only want to get going, but you want to live year round wherever it is you're going to be. Yeah, I want to I want to get residency uh, in Florida. I want to make that like my my home. I want I want to be around the facilities. I want to be a familiar face and just know everybody around me and get familiar with the area. Well, we look forward to you doing that in the very near term. 
congratulations on becoming a professional baseball player and best of luck in the start of your journey. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. And that's Ryan Cermak. Thanks to him and all the guests on the show today. Corey Kluber, Xavier Scruggs, Kyle Manzardo, Rob Metzler, Brock Jones, and Chandler Simpson. If you have something you want to hear, just tweet me at Neil Solons. Thanks to producer Jason Berenger. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show Rays and Royals next on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air. Way up there. In the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.